Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. And once again, I am so grateful to have by my side, my wife, my partner in Parkinson's, co-host of the pod, the amazing Rebecca. I'm happy to be here by your side as well. Oh, it's so comforting. Today, we are very excited to feature a PD Avenger from Down Under, a great advocate for Parkinson's in Australia and a World Parkinson's Congress 2023 ambassador in Barcelona, Jeff Constable. Now, before we bring in Jeff, I want to start with the World Parkinson Congress, the WPC 2023. It is the only conference of its kind where researchers, neurologists, clinicians, therapists, organizational leaders, people with Parkinson's and care partners meet and share ideas and challenge conventional wisdom, making long-lasting connections. The World Parkinson Congress is July 4th to 7th next year, 2023. Registration, hotel reservation information now available at WPC2023.org right there on the website. Our first WPC was the last one to occur in 2019 in Kyoto, Japan. It was an amazing experience. It was the first time we'd been in an entire event with people who cared about Parkinson's. We were so new to the community at that point and had started making connections around the world through the podcast and other things, but we really didn't have the faces, the physical connection, the in-person connections, meeting so many people, all of that. And it was so concentrated in a short period of time. It was really formative. It changed my life. Like it really did. Like I'd never been in a room with so many people that were YOPD with Parkinson's. And then we realized at that event that there were so many of us and there were more that weren't there. You know, they say we're only 10%, but 10% of 10 million is quite a few. And so we do have the ability to to make some noise and, and to get some things done. It was acknowledging that there really is a YOPD community out there and they're vibrant and active and committed to making change and maintaining that community it was empowering and inspiring and i cannot wait till next year you can go back to june of 2019 in the podcast archive to listen to the four podcasts that we posted during the congress all right now let's introduce you to our guest jeff constable jeff welcome to the pod Uh, thanks larry Jeff's story, like so many with YOPD, starts with a delayed diagnosis. His symptoms progressed enough that when he was 44, he went to see his doctor about the changes in movement, but it took another six years to diagnose it as Parkinson's. That was 2008. I was really confused when I first got Parkinson's, or I actually got diagnosed because um, it was quite some time uh, that it took and you realise now that you probably had it at least ten or fifteen years beforehand, and and it was there was talk and and the word Parkinson's did come up in in those times, but a lot of the medical people didn't understand it as in affecting young people, so they they would excuse it and say no 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 you're too young so it can't be that so they'd try and diagnose something else. And eventually, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And and to tell you the truth, it was actually a massive relief um, to find out. And and actually, on the day they told me, I, I had a huge smile on my face. And I and I had to apologise to him and say, "Hey, look, I'm not a hypochondriac, or I'm not looking for you know a condition. But I'm just so happy now that I, I've got a name and I can actually start working towards understanding it and 
and doing the best I can against it or with it, yeah. Those last four words he said, against it or with it. Uh, I think a lot of people go through that struggle. I went through that struggle. It's like it's one or the other. And for me, it's about leveraging the Parkinson's to my advantage. It's like how do we dance with it? How do we, how do we, how do we make it part of our, our life so it's not as bothersome because we're ignoring it or it's not... And you're not resisting it. We're not all consumed by it. But it's you know part of our life that we have to manage and consider. Part of the flow. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it. It took me a while to really, for me to hear you and others talk about changing my perspective, reframing my perspective on Parkinson's. It did take you quite a bit, and even as you were starting the podcast and your advocacy journey and whatnot, you were still discerning that and figuring that out. And I, I would imagine that's a a process that will continue as long as disease continues to progress. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's it's when you're, you mentioned it, when you're trying to ignore it, you know, it, it's, it's when it comes on strongest. It's, you know, Parkinson's is persistent, if nothing else. If you ignore it or push it away, then it just becomes more powerful. You're giving it more power in your life. Uh, to fully understand Jeff's story, we're going to need to go back in time. So let's climb into our time machine. I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. No, look, we're, we're back to 1970 when he became 13. So I grew up until uh, early teens in a working class suburb uh, in Melbourne, in Melbourne's north, called uh, Glenroy uh, or Right next door was Broad Meadows, so it was pretty tough times. A lot of uh, domestic violence, a lot of abuse. Um, yeah, they were pretty tough areas to grow up in. Yeah, uh, and then family life wasn't the best, so I spent a bit of time in shared houses uh, or on the street in the city. Uh, but always wanted something better. So in the late teens, I was actually living in, uh, I guess you'd have to call it drug-shared accommodation. Uh, a lot of the friends I grew up with were had lost their way and they were heavily into drugs. Um, but for me, I wanted something else. I wanted an education. So I became a bit of a minder for them, I guess. Um, but I still kept travelling to school every day and then on to university. What did you end up doing with, uh, with your career? Uh, I, started, I started life to be a civil engineer and, uh, and study, and I got through the first two years, and then there was talk about not being able to get a job Afterwards, you know, it was a real competition. So perhaps looked at other schools to get into. So I, I jumped at that stage and uh, became a naval architect instead. So worked 20 years at Williamstown Naval Dockyard. So designing uh, ships for Australia's Navy and also half the time, in that uh, each year, I would be on, in a test and trials team where we'd actually take out a ship and try and break it and t- take it, push it to its limit 
And we'd be out for two weeks at a time living on board ship. And yeah, I really love that part of it. It was, it was pretty cool. Sounds like he's come a long way and battled adversity even before Parkinson's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did a little research on the area he grew up in outside Melbourne called Glenroy. And back then, if, when he was a teen, it was called Gunroy. Wow. Yeah, that, this was part of Broadmeadows, where his local kids, they had a reputation of being the Broddy Boys. And they rode the trains, spray-painted graffiti. And when I first Googled Glenroy, the search gave me Glenroy Haunted House, Glenroy Lock and Gorge Drowning, or The Great Ocean Road Murder. So yeah, that's a tough childhood. That was part of everybody's neighborhood growing up, right? <laughs> well, just like everyone's Parkinson's is different, everyone's journey with Parkinson's is just as unique. Yeah, I was- like everyone else, I, I was, you know, like I said, I was really happy and, you know, bubbled over and let's go, go, go. And, uh, but then over the next couple of days, it was like, oh, there's no cure. They can't tell me how I got it, why I got it. Um, they tell me this, it's all negative. There's no positive here, you know. Um, I don't know what to do. So I started looking around, trying to search for some answers, but I kept on just finding things for, elderly Parkinson's people and there didn't seem to be anything for around my age group and and I was really scared that I was actually going to get sacked from work for having Parkinson's because they they would think I couldn't do the job anymore and and I knew I could Uh, so for I guess two years I didn't tell anyone um, and I just held and just kept it within you know, my you know, wife and, and kids, mainly my wife, and uh, and didn't tell anyone else and, and just fought to try and hide anything that they might see, um, even if that meant not going out. You know, if it was a bad day, I just wouldn't go out. And after a while, I just I thought, you know, this is, well, for the five years prior to being diagnosed, um, I had massive balance issues where it was like being drunk 24 hours a day. And actually, when, I, when I'd be driving, go to drive a car, when you open up the door and you transition from standing up to, to sitting in the seat, I'd actually black out. I'd actually, uh, yeah, for that couple of seconds, I, I would be unaware of how I got into the seat and um, because it, it was just the movement was too quick. And uh, so to walk down a footpath, I would have to walk one foot on the, on the concrete footpath and one foot on the grass. So that I use that line between the two as, as a guide. And uh, so it was really by the time, yeah, by the time I was diagnosed, I you know, had so, a few times when I walked out in front of cars and things like that. It was quite, quite scary. And, and that, and yeah. To tell you the truth, by, by, by the end of it, I, I was forcing a diagnosis because I was pretty pissed off with the way life was, you know what I mean? When did you realize life wasn't over? The five years leading up to being diagnosed and that, and that balance issue, the safest place for me to be was sitting at home and in a chair because that's the only time the world stopped moving for me. And, I, you know, so I spent a lot of time sitting you know, you know, watching TV or you know, not moving around too much. Uh, so exercise was totally out the door. 
So within that five years, I put on probably 30 or more kilograms. So I thought, well, I can't do anything about Parkinson's, but I can certainly do something about being fat. So being fat and Parkinson's, I figured wasn't a good look. So, uh, so I thought I'll, I can, I'll work with doing something, you know. So I went to a gym and I used to love cycling and I was a keen cyclist younger. And, uh, you know, once you, you know, for me, starting a family, having kids, it was pretty devoted that way and, and work was pretty intense. So you dropped off that. So, um, and I, I knew I couldn't ride a normal bike, even though I'd seen it on videos about Parkinson's people. It just didn't work for me. So I got on a stationary bike and, and I loved it. That, um, in the early days had massive, was more, a lot of pain, a lot of rigidity in the legs. And on that stationary bike in the gym, it just seemed to relieve all that. And, uh, so, I worked out, you know, if I did a 20-minute session on a cycle at the gym, I got, you know, three hours of relief and I felt, you know, I felt legs felt normal. I could walk properly. And then it became oh, more intense. If I go to cycle classes and push really hard in that 45 minutes, you know, I might get six hours and more and more. So you became a bit greedy on it and, Let's let's be fair, Dinkum. Going to a gym and sitting on a stationary bike for an hour is you know, it's just damn boring. So um, so I pushed really hard and and stuck it. Got into any cycle classes I could as much as possible and just getting that rewards. And but looking for more and more. How can I extend this for every day? And but um, yeah, when I was first diagnosed, I think I had a pretty much geriatric type neurologist who didn't understand young onsets at all and he gave me a um, handwritten prognosis of this is where this is what's going to happen to you over the next 10 to 15 years and this is how your life's going to be and so it said you know within three years you'll have to give up work there's no there's no problem with that. You'll have to leave work. Uh, within four years, you won't be driving a car. Within five to six years, you'll be reliant on mobility assistance. With eight, eight years, you'll be in a mobility scooter or something like that. By 10 years, you'll be starting to max out on drugs. And in that window between 10 and 15, you'll have DBS and you know enjoy life <laughs> get on with it uh and oh he did say one thing though he said oh if you've got any um plans for overseas holidays or big holidays do it now because you're going to run out of time and i've been made redundant from work uh, a couple of years beforehand and we just stashed away the extra cash and julie always wanted a white christmas you know um so we decided to uh, take this could be our last holiday. So let's do it. Uh, nine weeks in Europe and the UK. Uh, spent Christmas in Prague. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah. when we were in Rome, I saw these bikes that the couriers were using. They had these massive four-inch tyres on them. 
and I'd never seen them before. And 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 they were they weren't a, a you know homemade bike. They were obviously in production. And I couldn't. And so I'm I'm on the internet that night. You know, bike with fat tires and you know what's this? What's this? And it came up. They're called fat bikes, and and Canada loves them. They, they they ride them. You can ride them on the snow. They're absolutely fantastic. And yeah. um, uh, so I'm on the internet and fat bikes in Australia, fat bikes in Melbourne. You know, are, are they there? And I found a shop uh, in uh, not far from there, just on the other side of Melbourne, and ordered it. Pick up, and I wasn't back for another five weeks or something. But I was sitting there waiting for me, and that's where I started. So I started cycling then, and I thought it was great at that stage. I could ride like five or ten k um, every second day, and I, I thought that I was over the moon. This is this is fantastic. It feels good. And then it was that that feeling though. What the benefit that came from it just pushed me more and more and more. And you start setting targets like, oh, I wonder if I can ever ride to work, which is about 20 kilometres, and um, and then ride home. You know, I might, might ride there and then catch a train home or whatever, and then build up, build up. So it was like a year plan. Uh, but in within six months, I was actually riding to and from work, and I was riding between four and five and 450 kilometres a week. And entering in long distance events, it was just a chase then. It was, uh, and I was using those events as a way of uh, keeping on track. And then uh, a friend of mine said, "Oh, look, I'm doing this thing called the Oxfam 100 kilometer walk." And uh, and this was one Christmas as a workmate, and we we're having a few beers course and i think he plied me with a couple of extra beers and uh and said oh look you're doing a lot of k's on the on the bike you, you know obviously you're fit enough but one of our guys has had to drop out he's he's had a, he's done his acl so can you you know would you be interested in filling in for him and you know of course beer talk yep sure no worries i'll be there yeah that's cool yeah yeah yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, come on, mate, let's do it. Come on, let's go, 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 go. And uh, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be real easy because it's probably just walking around like the the Melbourne Cricket Ground, the MCG, you know, 50 times or something, and have a coffee on the way, and you know, grab a pie, a couple of chips, you know, something like that. <laughs> it's pretty casual, cheat a bit, you know. And then, uh, no, it wasn't that at all. I found out, got a bit, bit of a shock on that. So it's actually through the Dandenong Ranges in Melbourne where, uh, you know, everyone who comes here wants to do, they've got a thing called a thousand steps. And so um, it's quite steep climb over one and a half kilometres. But um, that's not the worst in that section, 10K section. That's probably third hardest. And then there's massive downhill. So it's it's a lot of, real severe trekking and um so yeah i ended up six months of the year training for that and because i needed to do extra training for the parkinson's i used to actually walk to work um two or three days a week uh so 20 kilometers into work and so that would mean i would leave home at like 2 two thirty in the morning and then walk <laughs> four hours into work 
and then have a shower and then start work. But I never walked home on that. I always caught the train home. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that just had that, that extra conditioning. But the bonus was because I had to do all this extra and I need to be really careful about, you know, because every, you, you're fighting enough with normal uh, things that can happen like blisters and all sorts of things. That's just for, you know, the normal occurrence. But with Parkinson's, you know, you're under the threat of, other things or you know you're trying to fight against you know the rogue pain and the fatigue fatigue's horrible how do i get over that and so you're trying to minimize the, the things you can so i've i've walked five of those 100 kilometer events now and never ever had a bru- had a blister not one uh yeah not even close because i you know take my feet i use all different sorts of techniques and oxfam made me an ambassador for the trail walker and they actually invite people to ask me how to to go out with them in their training sessions and and guide them to to uh how they can complete this in the best shape possible. So here's a guy with person uh, with Parkinson's helping, you know, people without challenges yeah. uh, to actually get through. So, you know, um, we think Parkinson's is really, you know, it's a challenge and it's really hard for us, but sometimes it presents us with the best way to live our life, I think. And, and, and a lot of the lessons we learn help so many other people than just ourselves and our group and i think that's um pretty pretty interesting way to to look at an approach yeah there's a lot to unpack there yeah i'm still hung up on his job as a naval architect he designed 16 ships in his 30-year career i asked him how exactly do you battle test a navy ship well you push it to its limit and past its limit so they would do full speed ahead trials, so you'd be pushing 30 knots uh, for eight hours flat out. Then they'd push it into reverse for five hours, so just water would be crashing off the back over the over the back of the ship. Uh, and I don't know why they ever did this, but every every trial I went on. They did a full speed steerage trial at around two or three o'clock in the morning because they trialed 24 hours a day. So every, there'd be people in bed and they'd be full power ahead and just ripping on the left hand turn and then push it back onto the right hand turn. And I don't know if you've ever been in a naval ship in particular, but they have triple bunks, not double bunks. And there was lucky to be like two foot between the bunks. So you'd just be watching, you'd watch them slap from side to side as the boat was going. And then occasionally there'd be a little tumble out onto the floor. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, so it was good. And you know, um, they'd do gunnery trials. Uh, so they'd um, you know, try and work the gun back to its ultimate stress limit. And so they'd shoot a shell in that would go in about the middle of the ship distance-wise and probably only 10, 15 foot from the side of the ship. So you'd actually see it go in under the water. It was unreal. But it put up a big fountain of water. It was some, there's a lot of stories about that. Oh, 
things get a bit personal with Jeff. He has a wife, Julianne, daughters, Caitlin and Jess. And before Parkinson's came along, it was just a typical family. Yeah, it was pretty, just pretty standard, uh, like everyone else, uh, working full time, uh, still playing basketball. Basketball was a passion for me uh, from a very early age, but sort of sort of accepting that you were getting older and, uh, you know, you needed to slow down a bit and that social social type uh, of what people shouldn't shouldn't do at certain ages, uh, you know, accepting things that you're sort of mentally made to understand. Um, but, yeah, just a general average sort of guy, I think. He's far from average now. When I first met Jeff, he had orange hair. Today, it's colored blue. And I asked him, what, what's the catalyst from being average sort of guy battle-testing Navy ships to standing out in the crowd? Working from home, and I'm still working from home, uh, there's no plan to go back into the office. And uh, it was like we're all doing virtual meetings and, and, you know, people were trying to struggle to deal with this and, you know, people just sit there and, and there'd be like 10 people on the screen and no one's saying anything. And so, you know, I thought, oh, i got to break this up a bit. Can't do much, so I'll dye my hair. So yeah, that's where it's. And I think I turned up in some of the ambassador meetings, and and it's like, oh, Jesus, Jeff's got red hair, you know. Um, and, and it's funny. Some people don't know what to say, and other people, uh, hey, what's going on here? You, um, you know, you're going out, so you can't get me going out. You, what's what's the what's with the hair? And yeah, then you change it. And yeah, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I loved it, but. With the with that dye for the hair, so going into the water, if it was spray, it was going to come off, and I didn't end up looking like an oompa loompa or something with a big blue face on the day at Moomba. So yeah, it's permanent dye. Uh, it turned a bit electric. It helped too. Afterwards, last week we had the five Parkinsons walk in the park. Uh, about over two thousand people turned up for that. I was there. I had still had the blue hair from Moomba, and it made people easier to find me and you know like they'd hear oh, yeah jeff constable from the moomba birdman rallies here and i go oh, where is he you find him in two thousand people and it's just oh there's a guy over there with blue hair that must be him so um so made that connections a lot easier too so again you know you, you step out of your comfort zone and you and you win you win so it's cool. He's mentioned Moomba a couple of times now. <laughs> I know. It's my favorite. The video is something else. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend that you check out our show notes and uh, watch the video for yourself. But why don't we let Jeff explain what Moomba is? Moomba Birdman Rally uh, came out of just insanity, I think. It's been around for uh, about 40 years. The Moomba Festival itself happens on a long weekend in in March in Melbourne. And, uh, and Moomba is a indigenous word that 
means let's get together and have fun. The contestants are all supporting a charity. We have to build our own flying craft and there's a lot of restrictions on it as in size and weight and material you can use. Um, uh, you can't have it propelled in any way unless it's by human uh, body. So you could use a, a spinner propeller, but it has to be driven by your feet or your hands. There's one guy, he just turns up with cardboard boxes on the day and this makes something and just jumps in. So it can be as simple as that or as, as radical as a couple of professional guys have like hang gliders and one's got seven of them. It depends on the weather, whether he uses this one or that one. But yeah, we just build it. Yeah. And I encourage you to engage a lot with the um, crowd and, and the community. Uh, so uh, costumes and lots of noise, lots of uh, banter. So we went as PD Avengers and, uh, and, that, uh, and that worked really well. We got really good coverage from that. Yeah, so on a day, we just have our craft. We have to run along a, a, a ramp that's about five metres above the water and then just try and fly across the um, water as, as far as possible. I don't know who created it or why, but it became really infectious and it's actually the event of the three- or four-day festival. Everyone turns up to watch Birdman Rally. In 2018, they set the record for attendance over the three days, which was 3.8 million people. And um, the word I got from the festival people on the Tuesday after the long weekend was that record had been broken and there was probably a million people on the banks of the Yarra watching us on the day. How did you do? Uh, come second came second uh you know that's supported by the funds you raise and and uh and we went pretty hard and uh and just and it was really it was fantastic it was just mum and dad's donations there was no corporates in there and we raised fifteen thousand dollars in in about 10 days so um that was that was great and for coming second we we got five thousand dollars additional um, to to uh, support uh, fight Parkinson's. So, yeah, it was fantastic. Biggest benefit for me, though, was, you know, it's not just about the money. Um, because of the things that, and then the promotion that was given out, and, and, and it was great because the, the team around me really got into it and, and they wanted to make as much awareness for Parkinson's, especially the young onsets, as possible. People just loved this. And we and the word was out there, but all of a sudden, in the last week or two, I was getting a lot of calls and messages from young people with Parkinson's who were lost and didn't know where to go or who to contact, and they were confused. And and to me, that was that validated the reason for doing that, if nothing else. If I had ended up with zero dollars, I would have still been so happy to have done it, and just for that reason is, is help people in the, in the community find their way just a little bit. And, you know, I don't have all the answers, but I can, I can paint a more positive picture than a negative that they were carrying. So, so that was a good chance for me. It was fantastic. Second place in Moomba, a big check, people wanting to get their picture taken with you. 
Jeff, when you were diagnosed with Parkinson's, did you ever imagine that you could live with a chronic disease and still be a winner? No, I thought I was a loser. I thought the best I could hope for was getting close to what I was doing before or how I was living life before. If I could do that, then I'd, I'd won. But unless I stepped out and went harder with exercise and, and other things, I was never going to achieve that either. So I didn't know how to get back to being me before Parkinson's. So the silly part is I found a way to be better than that person through Parkinson's. Parkinson's is part of my life, not just accept the name, but actually bring it in and say, hey, look, this is part of me now. Love it or hate it, you've got to just live with it. Don't use it as an excuse all the time. And once, you, once I found I did that, it was much better life and you're more at ease with yourself. And I think you just evolve and move into it then. It's like you get a second chance. I think the easiest way to explain is you actually stop and go, lying in the sand, that's what I used to be. Here's where I am now. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to live this? And so you forget all the standard restrictions that are on you. Oh, you're too old. You shouldn't be doing that. Oh, you're too young. You can't be doing that. You know, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, let's start from scratch. And if it works, then we'll keep going. If it doesn't, well, and I want to do it, let's find another way around it. And there's no limitations. You know, it's like, let's see how far we can go with this. Parkinson's, it gives me permission to do the things that I always wanted to do that I never made time for. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I I think that's the best way to say. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, for yeah, sure. It, like, I, it, we started an improv for Parkinson's group. Well, I haven't done improv in, since college. But yeah. I, I always wanted to be, I, mean, I started as a theater major, ended up in radio for 30 years, but I still have a love of the stage and I want to perform and I like the reaction from the audience. And so I'm doing that now and I love it. You know, and it keeps me, keeps me on my toes. Yeah, it introduced that freedom. It's like, well, you know, what have we got to lose, you know? Everyone thinks I should be sitting down doing nothing. Well, okay, I can get up and do something. So bugger them, you know? Yeah. uh, Yeah, I I just, it's that new way. It's just, yeah, let's have a crack. Let's see where we go with this. Yeah, I, I, Larry, I, I saw you in Kyoto, and I think this is fantastic for the ambassadors, on the first day of uh, when we had the extra day at the start, I sat next to Alison Anderson, who's now an ambassador, and just sat right next to her. And we're taking photos of each other's name tags so that we could remember each other, so that we could message during the four days. And then walked the door was you and your wife and and Heather. And I I was looking at her, you know, and... There was everyone. Yeah, there was a group of you that are all happy to see you. And I'm like, gee, who's this big? He's like a bear. Jesus, this is great. Yeah, this is cool. This guy's cool. So, on that day, and then we end up, uh, you know, two years later or something, being ambassadors. And I'm going, oh, I, 
half these people I, I've met on the first day of that place. Is so cool? the, the World yeah. Parkinson Congress, I tell you, changed my life. Oh, yeah. And, and even that, I think back to then in Kyoto, and you're saying, you, you, you know, I don't know if you, you must know and you must see it, but you're a different person now to then. It, you know, your life's changed. It's changed. You know, Pity Avengers came up. There was all, there's all these different things. And, and that's what I think is amazing. Now, people think life stands still because you've been diagnosed with something and, and like it's hard to move ahead and you, you just fight to live a normal day where I think, and, and there will be people like that with Parkinson's, but I think the opportunity's there. If you want to do this, find a way. There is a way. And it's like, and I always love with, with uh, PD Avengers, and they won me over as soon as I heard the words, what's your superpower? You've got one. Come on. That's why we're PD Avengers. You've got to have a superpower. And that's what I, I reckon it is. You, know, you develop pathways around the restrictions, pathways around the limitations, and some of those everyone should be using not just you, everyone and outside the parks community, everyone in the world perhaps should be using that pathway that you have found or, or found a different direction to get to, the, to where you need to be. Let's talk about the World Parkinson Congress next year. Uh, what are you looking forward to? Oh, connecting with people, just walking in. That, and I still remember the best part was you had, through, you had four or five days where you could be yourself and you were free. Everyone, you know, whether you had, you know, a, a tremor, a, a, you know, you're, you're squirming in your seat because you can't sit for more than an hour at a time. You know, you don't get the funny looks of what's wrong with this guy. I mean, everyone just knows and understands it. So there's no, yeah, you could actually relax, totally relax and let just, if the body wanted to slap around and go crazy, well, that's fine. You know, you didn't have to hold it back or feel, you know, embarrassed because you're wearing half your breakfast down the front of your shirt because you've got it spilled it. So, and you don't get soup. Isn't that cool? Yeah, you don't have to wear. You don't have to wear that. So, yeah, you know, what do you have for lunch? I don't know. Have a look at this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the only one. Uh, I was with Becca Miller at one point during the conference, and we saw some people who didn't have Parkinson's in the uh, convention center. She goes, what's with the arm swingers? Yeah, obviously you don't have Parkinson's, so thank you very much. Yeah, what are you doing here? Get out. Yeah, that's and just the information that comes from from World Parkinson's and, and the connections you make and the directions you find yourself going afterwards. I mean, I was exhausted after that four days. I had to, like, take a – have a chill. Now, you're on holidays, and after that, for the next day or two, it was like, no, oh, I just need to uh, – there's so much happening up here, and there's so many things I, I want to do. I just got to back it, you know, have a bit of a relax and then start putting things in, in, in boxes and, and where we're going to go. It's, well, uh, if yeah. you've not been to the World Parkinson Congress, you don't have to do everything, and you can't do everything. So don't beat yourself up if you don't go to every session because there's like five sessions at a time. And and oftentimes you you 
aren't even in a session. You're just in the lobby talking to somebody and it's the best you know hour you had. I, I particularly love the round table sessions. It's not all about being talked at by going into presentations and learning things. There was a lot of opportunities and every day there was those the round tables where people you could just book in. There would might be they were allocating topics for certain tables and you could sit and you could be contributing and talking about and finding out about other people who are doing similar sort of things to you or just uh, it would just be a sit-down chat table about whatever comes up. And I, I, I particularly re- I try to get into as many of those as possible. Everyone's view and every, everyone's idea is listened to. And, and you've got to, and I think that's, that's a bit, yeah, everyone was seen to be a contributor as much as you wanted to be. Yeah. And you didn't have to be a presenter. You didn't have to be a speaker. It was like you were saying, you know, you could be chatting in, in the lounge areas with a couple of people and all of a sudden people are hearing what the conversation is and, and you turn around and look and all of a sudden there's 10 or 12 people either just listening or they're contributing into it. So everyone had some oh you can't just sit there and absorb that's one thing it does teach you 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 got whether you want to or not within a day or two you will find yourself looking for those round tables that are set up and they're formalized as in like you have to book in to get onto this seat on this table yeah and just the impromptus that started up. There was a few impromptu meetings that came out. Uh, the young onsets did that, and that's available. You know, it's not as if, oh no, we can't do that. It's not on the on the on the program. We can't have that happening. It was just did. Where's the spare room in there? Let's go, and and you can do all those sorts of things. But they had uh, alternative um, medicines there. You could get massage. You could get all sorts of things. They had oh, yeah. yoga classes. In the morning, you know, you turn up before everything started and there was classes you could go in and Pilates and yoga and go and get a massage during the day anytime you liked. Uh, it, was, it was all great, you know. There was experience, everything, not just – it's not just being yapped at, you know. It's, it's – or just pouring information into your head. Um, it's, it's a lot more than that, so much more, Yeah. And even if you don't consider yourself an advocate, as soon as you book those tickets to go to Barcelona and to be at that conference, you are instantly an advocate. Yep. You can't be there and not be one. Don't look it up. Don't look up the word in the, in the dictionary and don't go to ask anyone else what it is. To me, it just means I want to learn more. I want to know as much as I can. I want to be the best person I can and, I, and, and whatever that is for me might be different to somebody else but at the end of the day it's what's right for you and you'll make you you want change you're not happy just sitting on the fence and let letting parkinson's dictate how you live your life and where you're going to go you want to have some say in it and well yeah and i left the last one with a lot of ideas and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it all because I felt like researchers were like, oh, we're about to do this and this and this. And I, I was having dinner one night with, um, you know, a bunch of geneticists. Uh, <laughs> it was like me and nine geneticists. 
Uh, and uh, they're talking about how they're getting close to another gene into this. And I was like, is it going to cure Parkinson's? Oh, like, yeah. They're like, well, no. I'm like, well, then you're not going to get a headline because we've told everybody it's five years away. It's five years away. It's five years away. It's, you know, it's been, it's been five years away for 30 years. But it's always annoyed me that all the funds we raise, 100%, and I don't know about other countries, but I know in Australia, 100% of all funds raised goes to research. And I know we all want a cure, but it's been around for over 200 years. No one can even tell me why I got it, let alone a cure. They can't, there's no information. There's no, like I said, there's, no, there's still no positive answers for anything you might ask about Parkinson's on, on how you got it or where it's going to take you. But to me, there's too much on research. Normal people with Parkinson's just want to live the best day, life they can. And I'd rather see a percentage of that money going towards programs and support, not just for the uh, young people, in particular the young people, because they've got so much longer to fight with this damn thing, but also their families and friends, just, you know, they need help and support as well. So why isn't some of that being set up? PD Avengers, three pillars, research, wellness, advocacy. Oh, we absolutely. Because we need to be well in order to advocate and we need to advocate uh, for more dollars so we can do more research, but it's all, it's all connected and we can't just ignore the other two no. and put everything in the other pot. We, so yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, we, we need to take a balanced approach. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, I'm loving that. That's where, you know, PD Avengers, uh, you know, groups like PD Warrior, there's lots of groups starting, in, you know, not just now, but, in recent years that are seeing that part of it is so, so important and people need to um, realise that and jump on board uh, and not just see, you know, the major Parkinson's organisations, uh, you know, that's the only place for them. You need to step out and and find what best suits you, I think. And, and what gives you the best chance you have shorter term rather than the long term. Jeff is another great example of a Parkinson's advocate and a simply inspiring story. He's one of those people in my, in my, I would say in my circle, that if I'm up in the middle of the night, it's daytime for him. It, it, and he's in the future. So I can always ask him, hey, uh, Jeff, how's, how's tomorrow? I can't wait to meet him at WPC. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to see what color his hair is. <laughs> when Life Gives You Parkinson's is a Curious Cast podcast production. Our story producer is Dila Velazquez, sound designed by Greg Schott. The presenting partner is Parkinson Canada. Diagnosed with Parkinson's? You are not alone. Parkinson.ca. Thanks also to our promotional partners, the World Parkinson Congress 2023 in Barcelona, Spain. Registration is now open for the Congress, and the hotel information is up on the website at WPC2023.org. And if you're going to register as a person with Parkinson's or as a care partner or caregiver, you will be considered an advocate. So when you're registering for the Congress, you have to register as an advocate. The Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's Podcast, hosted by Larry Gifford. Available on Apple Podcasts and at michaeljfox.org. PD Avengers, the global alliance of people with Parkinson's, their partners and friends, united to the cause of ending Parkinson's disease. 
Join us now at pdavengers.com. Be sure to check out all the new information about the national plan to end Parkinson's in the United States. Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. SpotlightYOPD.org. And we would really appreciate it if you shared this podcast with somebody, make a personal recommendation. Don't forget to subscribe yourself and give us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. And it's the most effective way to grow our audience and raise awareness of Parkinson's disease is by you telling people about it. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time.